0: What Brother Isaac said about Brother Jeremy, you know what he was describing? Being planted in the house of the Lord and then flourishing in the courts of our God. Now, I'm calling your attention to that, all of you, but especially you young people, because I mean, I'm 40 and what Brother Isaac described appealed to me, and I enjoy that too. There's people here I could say the same thing about. But I was drawn to that. And if you were drawn to that tonight, I'm calling your attention to that psalm again, that's what happens when you're planted in the house of the Lord and you sink your roots down deep in the house of the Lord. You will flourish in the courts of our God. And so on that note, let me give you a few more psalms here out the gate that are not directly related to the bride, which is the subject tonight. But in Psalm 122, verse 9, he says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. They shall prosper that love thee. We just sung about a blind man who was asking something of Jesus and it wasn't alms. It was something better. A prospering, more important and more valuable and more precious than money. So The Lord may or may not bless you with money, riches, things that the world see as prosperous. But listen, don't be fooled by what that looks like for other people. Because there are a lot of people out there who have all that stuff. And they would trade it in a heartbeat for the soul prospering that you enjoy because you love Zion. They would. They're broken inside. And that stuff's not doing them a bit of good. They shall prosper that love thee. Psalm 128. <clears throat> I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's six verses. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be and it shall be well with thee thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house thy children like olive plants round about thy table behold that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the lord that sounds it's a pretty picture isn't it the lord shall bless thee out of zion The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. There's a lot of that going on here. Children's children. Generation to generation. Don't be embarrassed at those riches. That's the blessing of God. That's how it's supposed to be. Just because it feels like most of the world doesn't experience that, this is the norm. This is how it's supposed to be. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments and could preach a whole sermon on this three verse psalm but that uh that oil that they poured on Aaron wasn't just the olive oil that you get out of your cupboard that you know it doesn't actually have much of a smell does it you got to get real close to it this was this was a very special oil compounded for a very special purpose and had a beautiful scent now think about the picture that that paints Think about if someone cracks open a a vial of... We'll talk about good-smelling things. It works really well with the bad-smelling things, too. And you can smell it. The the, the scent, the perfume, it spreads through the whole room. Everybody's participating in that rich, beautiful, powerful scent, aren't they? This is what happens with the Holy Spirit, the oil, that's poured out. Blessed is it. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The prescient ointment upon the head, it ran down upon the beard, and the smell fills the room. We have a song where we say that. It fills the room, and we all partake of that spirit. And then he says, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now, just 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 let Zion be the church. Okay? That, that's, it's, that's close enough. That's the right way to be reading this. as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life, forevermore. Okay, now lastly, now we're segueing. We'll segue into the subject. Lastly, we sung uh, two hymns that just pointed us gloriously toward what is coming. And you can just feel everyone in the room anticipating Right? Knowing ahead of time. That's like feeling ahead, drawing from, trying, just trying to draw from what's coming for God's children. The saints, as they flock from the regions terrestrial and loud hallelujahs, their voices will raise. What a wonderful phrase. English is really good, isn't it? The s- saints, as they flock from the regions terrestrial. That's, that's what I was talking about the other day. See, from up there, they're flocking they're flocking from the regions terrestrial. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. Hey, come on in and join the song. And it's growing and growing and growing until it's completely complete. And we're all there. And then we sang, Then shall I see and hear and know all I desired or wished below. The scripture says that uh, we shall know even as we are known. You know how perfectly you are known by God? Perfectly. Now, I'm not saying you're going to comprehend Him. If that was the case, we'd, we'd want out after a day. You see, that's the, the beauty of God, and, and I'll say also even the beauty of His Word, and I think one of the reasons why some of the things in it are kind of hard to under, understand. If, if you could... <laughs> I think Brother Sonny said this... Uh, If I could sit down and read this book and understand all of it right off the bat, I'd conclude that the person who wrote it was no smarter than I was. And I'd get everything there was, and I'd move on to the next thing. That will never happen in glory. Never happen. It won't ever happen. But we will know in ways that we do not know now. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. <clears throat> I said this morning that uh, the, the church, my, my desire, mostly my desire is that we walk away this weekend with a new love for, appreciation for, desire to be in the church of Jesus Christ, which looks like this here. Functionally, that, that's what that means. We know we're headed to glory to the great assembly. We know we're already part of it. Another one of our songs talked about that, that in spirit, essentially, we're already joining with that throng. We know it's coming, but this is what it looks like while we're here visible churches all over the place, each one its own little complete picture, foretaste of what's coming. And so I, I used this morning the illustration of the Honus Wagner baseball card. That the church is valuable. It is valuable. And, and even people who who uh, are not in the church recognize that, right? There's money to be made out of the church, frankly. And and Paul says, uh, I believe it's Paul anyway, says that they make merchandise of you. There are people who make merchandise of the people of God. They're literally making money off of this machine called the church. It's true. Uh, but we know, we see... We hope that we see that it is the pearl of great price. It's worth possessing for its own sake. Well, it is not only valuable, but it is also uh, essential. It, it needs to be. It should be. It is, whether you recognize it or not, essential for us and to us. So that looks something like this. Uh, maybe not the best illustration because I'm not a lady, but... You know, ladies like different types. There's lots of precious stones out there. You know, Diamonds come immediately to mind, but diamonds are not inherently more valuable than some of the other precious stones, and you may have a preference. You may look at a diamond and say, that's amazing. I mean, that's that's beautiful. It's clearly worth a whole lot of money. It's valuable, but I'm just not really a diamonds gal. I prefer rubies, right? Right? Take it or leave it. What you won't find yourself saying... At the end of a long, hot day of work trenching for a well, which is i 've been doing actually working spending some time out in one hundred and five, when I say some, I mean about an hour that 's about all you can do, and then you 're done. what you won 't say is i 'm not really a hot shower guy you know <laughs> i 'm not really a cold water guy I mean yeah, I see that's that some people like that, but that 's not really for me or let's let 's get even more i 'm not really a food person. <laughs> You know, I mean, rubies, diamonds, food, not food, eh, whatever. You see the point? The church is, it's inherently valuable, but it's also just that essential. You can't just say, I'm not really a church person. You can't do that. That's like saying, I'm not really a food guy. I just don't eat, you know. Who needs water? That's not how that works. We begin to see that perhaps some this evening as we think about the church as the bride. Because, (laughs) husbands, uh, none of you are going to say those things that way about your wife, are you? I mean, you know, sure, she's a woman, there's a woman, there's one over there, whatever, right? Eh, I'm not really a Caitlin guy. (laughs) Doesn't work. It doesn't. One bride. One person. Essential. Precious. Chosen. That's the bride. Now, I need your prayer tonight. Like Nehemiah, when, he, when the king asked him, Nehemiah, what's wrong? He saw his countenance that it was sad. And, and he, said, he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah couldn't say, hold on a minute. Let me go pray for ten minutes about how I answer that question. I'll get back to you. He uh, He prayed. And then he answered, and the king never knew he'd even prayed. It's a real quick prayer. We need prayer like that in church. For me, for you, I feel the need of that in particular tonight. I want to go to two places this evening. I I don't think I'm going to take a whole long time tonight. Um, I want to go to Ephesians chapter five, and I'm just—we're just going to go. Moses, Moses said to the Lord, "I am not eloquent." I'm not eloquent. And listen, I'm going to tell you all something. I really would want to be eloquent. And, and I, I think, if I know my heart, if I'm not deceiving myself, most of the time, I want to be eloquent because I want to give the Lord my best. Because this is beautiful stuff. It's profound. I want to be able to describe it and say it better. But God doesn't need that. So we're just going to go tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, he says in verse 22, real familiar passage, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now this passage The plan tomorrow morning is to talk on the body. We're going to be talking about that. You can't not talk about the body when you talk about the bride, because you know what? (laughs) They're one. That's what he's about to say, one flesh. No man hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it as the Lord the church, his own flesh. So we're going to get into that a little bit. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, for the husband is... And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. I don't remember who said this. I was trying to find this quote. I thought it was T.S. Eliot, but I couldn't find it. Who said, love her, I am her. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I'm just going to draw a few things from this, of all the things that could be. <clears throat> This may be something you just have to take with you. But what I find fascinating about this passage is that I believe that the Lord is doing two things at once. He's saying, look at the way, look at the relationship of Christ and the church. Look at the way He loves the church. Look at the way the church delights to subject herself to Him. Look at that and apply that. Think about how that should look in your own marriage that's how your marriage should look and he's also saying because because we live our marriages, that's something we're real familiar with isn't it, those of us that are married he's also saying, look at your marriage and understand that that's how Christ in the church is now, you know, not the hard parts not the parts where I messed up and flew off the handle or got real selfish, but there are sweet parts of marriage aren't there y'all there are times in your marriage on this earth when you realize you have moments, I hope there's lots of them. <laughs> I hope you just live there, but you know that's not life. But there are times in your marriage when you think, "Oh, oh. This 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 is what my, this is how God loves me." This is how how close I am with the Lord. I read a wonderful phrase one time in a book on marriage that I'd recommend to anyone. But And he said, really what we're after in marriage is interpenetration of souls. Interpenetration of souls. So speaking to you that are married, think about those times when it felt like it felt like you were one. Now God has designed us even physically that that happens, right? But... But you know there's something deeper going on. There is something more rich going on when you, when you feel like you're the same person. Your souls, where there's, there's nothing between... Listen, I'm describing flesh and blood marriage. I'm describing something that I hope all of you married people can relate to, can look back on and know that that occurs. And what I'm saying to you is that God has given us marriage... So that we can better understand the relationship of Christ and his church, you and the lord jesus christ now that's kind of that 's amazing to say that makes marriages a profound gift of God. You can hardly underestimate the profundity of marriage and what happens in marriage and what can do you see that's the that 's the bar that's that 's what God desires, so part of my in sharing this, part of my hope is simply to encourage you to pursue that. You see, that's not like, oh, wow, some special thing, some exceptional thing. You see? Now, in our experience, I know it's not like that. It's not like that every day. We don't we don't live in that place, but understand that that's the norm we're headed towards. You see? God has given us marriage to say, that's what it's like. But of course, our marriages are are rough because we're sinners. They're not always like that, are they? And so God points to Christ and His church because we do. We can also just look at Christ and His church from the scripture and understand some things about that. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And so we look at Christ and the church and say, I see there how it supposed to be in my marriage. And then sometimes we're able to look at our marriage or experience things in our marriage that blow our minds and open our eyes and say, God loves me like that. You... Because that's where, here it is in Ephesians. I'm not making that up. I'm talking right now about those really special moments in your marriage when it's just mind-blowing. The, the unity that you're experiencing, the fellowship, the oneness, the love. And God says, that's how I love you. That—that That is what our relationship will be like one day. Now... I'm not going to exegesis through this text, and, and maybe that's the most, that might be most of what I say about this text, but I want to draw a couple of other things from it. One is, my brother Roy this afternoon said, Isn't it, It's wonderful how, even, you know, you're looking at these different pictures of Christ in the church, the different ways that the Lord has given us to see Christ in his church, the, uh, the building, the bride, and the body, And but you're saying the same things over and over again. That's right. Because when Christ went to get a bride, there was no bride worthy for Him. Just like when when God said, well, I'm going to build a building and I've got a perfect cornerstone, but where are the other stones suitable for it? Well, there aren't any, so I'm going to have to make them. Same thing with the bride. He makes the bride beautiful, cleanses, washes until she is (laughs) Dare I say it? Worthy of being the bride of the Son of God. Worthy of it. Yes, because He made her worthy of it. We're fit stones to be put right next to Him in the building because He made us fit stones. But we are fit stones because He made us fit stones the bride is worthy of her groom but because he made her worthy to sanctify that he might that that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish one thing that we see here in other parts of Scripture is that I want to call to your attention this evening is that where Jesus Christ loves, He loves forever. Love and covenant are practically the same thing to Christ. Jesus does not love where He does not promise to love forever. Where He loves, He promises to love. I'm going to say this several different ways, okay? Where he loves, he promises to love. Where he promises to love, he will keep that promise. He does not love without loving forever. That's real love. That's what it is to him. That's what love means. In fact, it's an everlasting love, isn't it? And in fact, it's an everlasting backwards love before the foundation of the world. He loved before we ever came around. He was loving and had already promised to love those that he loved forever. But this love is also action, isn't it? Jesus doesn't love and love forever and then hope that you get good enough to be worthy of it. He goes and gets you. Goes and gets His bride. Where Jesus loves, He sanctifies. Where Jesus loves, He will cleanse and make righteous. He will. That is what His love does. Shouldn't that be what love looks like? I mean, don't we all really know that? That's what love should look like. Love love goes and gets. Love blesses. Love gives. Love serves. Love helps. Love transforms. And we can only do that so far, but Jesus Christ can change people. He can love and in His love transform Uh, Brother Isaac's example of the the older gentleman that he talked to, I thought, wow, there it is. That's it. The older gentleman who was letting us in and out of the house over there who loved one wife for decades and then served her for a decade plus and then loved another wife for a long time and then served her, uh, waited on her for three years. Covenant. That's what I'm talking about. Covenant. There's no question. That's how that's going to work. Let's just go ahead and go over to Psalm 45. Um, I'll just say, say this last thing. Paul, Paul says here that there's a great mystery. A great mystery. Now sometimes mystery in the scripture means uh, something that God was hiding, did not want known. And it became revealed. Sometimes when you read the word mystery in Scripture, he's talking about something that used to be a mystery, and now he is telling people about it. Uh, This one, I think he means more like we think about it, like, this is a great mystery. Marriage is profound. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. When he says, This cause shall a man leave his father and mother, they shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. He's talking about... Marriage, but he's also talking about Christ and his church, one flesh. Let's move on. Psalm forty five <clears throat> My heart is indicting a good matter. That is, it's just bubbling up. the, The writer of this psalm, he's looking at what's about to happen, he's excited about what's about to happen, and he just can't contain himself. It's just overflowing, and it's overflowing into his pen. Depending on how God has made you, things overflow in different ways. For some people, they overflow into their pen, and they write. For some people, they sing. For some people, they do lots of other things. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And he's going to talk about the bridegroom first. Bridegroom first. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Now this is poetic language, but just to help you understand what the poetry, what you're trying to get from the poetry, let's just be really simple. I have a four-month-old daughter who is fair. These babies are beautiful. They're fair, aren't they? The children of men. Some of us older folks, not so fair. (laughs) Right? But you look at those babies and the children of men are fair. And he says, Thou art fairer than. Fairer than the children of men. Beautiful. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. But you know what, he's not only fair, beautiful to look upon, he's also a man of war, a man of might, a man of action. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously, because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. As I understand he's talking about your right hand is pointing to going and doing terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Does that sound familiar? So now we know, just in case there was any question, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He quotes it over in Hebrews. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest Wickedness, Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. And Ophir was the best gold you could get. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear... Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. Now we started with the bridegroom. And everything we read, you're saying, Amen. No doubt, he is fairer than the children of men. No doubt, his right hand teaches him terrible things. No doubt, the people fall under him. Where he smites, they go down. He loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. And we're saying, Praise the Lord. That's the bridegroom. That's the Son of God. We know him. We love him. All those things are true. Now he's going to talk about the bride. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. Like, this, He's not desiring his own beauty. We're not talking about the Son of God anymore. We've talked about the king. He is everything that he is. But the king shall greatly desire thy beauty, his bride. And look, the word of God is going to talk about the bride for a while. And it sounds like the kind of things you'd say about the groom, the son of God. Beautiful language. For he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. Right? So let's not make any mistake about uh, the pecking order here. (laughs) Right? Right? He is thy Lord, and worship thou him. And the daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift. Even the rich among the people shall treat thy favor. Just let me pause for a moment. What this is describing, and it is building up to the scene of a wedding. That's what it is. It's the wedding scene. It's a song to accompany a wedding march. And so there's a lot of other stuff going on here, because there's other other people and other things involved, and there's pomp and circumstance and glory and splendor. The daughter of Tyre shall be there with a gift, even the rich among the people shall entreat in thy favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within her clothing is of wrought gold. she shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. Now that sounds like yep, somebody just made a thing with needle. no no no, we 're talking about delicate fine this is it 's wedding garments, right I mean it 's a wedding dress. You can picture what that might look like and and by the way, I mean we 're kind of. In our culture, uh, weddings are a lot less, uh, there's a lot more going on here in an Oriental wedding, let's put it that way. A lot more of this needlework, a lot more of this beautiful tapestry, a lot more of this stuff. Who gave her those garments? The king. Who put her in glorious apparel with fine needlework? The Lord Jesus Christ, robes of righteousness. But having done so, she is, in fact, all glorious within. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children of a prosperous marriage, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. That's all I'm going to do with that psalm. Let me just share with you two, um, experiences that I had this year. <clears throat> I've been blessed to attend two marriages, and I want to just share with you a different experience from each one, uh, with a Schaefer, Sister Jenna, it was the first time I officiated a marriage, I was really nervous, I was really glad I was doing it, Brother Isaac, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple really, but, you know, I was sure I was going to put my foot in my mouth and mess the whole thing up, I didn't, praise the Lord, uh, but because in that marriage, I was officiating, you know, where you, where you stand, where I'm standing. And so when Sister Jenna came through the doors, you know, we're all, we're all looking at the bride. Understandably so. She's beautiful. Do you know where she was looking? She was looking at her groom. I mean, laser focused on the groom. I'm pretty sure she knew she was beautiful. Pretty sure. And that's good. She delighted, she enjoyed being beautiful that day. Do you know why? Because the groom thought she was beautiful. It was his delight in her beauty that made her delight in her own beauty. It was because he delighted in her beauty. And Schaefer's face was like hers, except that he was crying. Uh, Listen. As they they came down the aisle, and in that that ceremony, and, and also knowing, I'm going to read some things in Revelation quickly before we close, knowing what was coming, because see, they're going to get married, and then we're going to go celebrate, right? We're going to go have a big marriage supper. And it's going to be a blast. And I just had this moment of feeling like uh, we can just all die and go to heaven now. Like, this, this, is, this is what it's about. It tasted like. It, it, we, I, we were hearing and seeing and feeling echoes of what is coming. And I fell in love with weddings all over again. I thought, like, man, weddings are the best thing. They're the best thing. Well, not long after that, my brother Davis got married to Allie. And I wasn't standing there, so my experience was a little different. I was a groomsman, but in that wedding, they were the same way. I could see both of their faces. I thought she was going to trip because it was an outdoor wedding. And, and uh, all she was looking at was Davis. And Davis had, you know, uh, mule eating briars, right? Grinning bigger than a mule eating briars. All right? It's a good thing there were no bumps in the road. It's a good thing she had her dad on her arm because she would have fallen over is how locked they were, both of them to each other. But what I remember from that wedding in particular was the setting, the scene. Oh my goodness, y'all. I don't know how to describe it. It was in a hollow. Okay, a hollow. Like a, like a bowl carved out of the mountain and and trees all around and this glorious little lake pond right behind them, pristine water and the blue sky and the grass is perfectly green and, and you can kind of see the whole space. And the children... Before, leading up, everyone's excited. Everyone is there. We're all gathered together. We're all focused on the same thing. We're all there for the same cause. You feel this sense of fellowship and, and love for everyone that's there because of, we're all there for the same reason. And the children are running around playing and having a great time, dressed in their best stuff. And everything is just glorious. And I thought, we just die and go to heaven now. This is what it's going to be like. It's going to be like this. It was beautiful. So let me just read a couple of passages from Revelation and we're closed because there's a wedding coming. You see, actually the church right now is betrothed to Christ. And to the Jews, even then culturally, because that's kind of what, how God made it, that was as good as being married. You'll find people who are uh, engaged in the scripture and they call, call them their wife. right? Because they're as good as. They're as good as. But the consummation is not yet come. It is coming. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice. We just have to read the next two verses. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, is with men. What? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be flippant. But the tabernacle of God is with men? Yes. And He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. Let me just say one note on that. Some of you here are still new in your marriage. And usually we kind of say, Yep, you're you're still new. Things are still new. We're like, We know what's coming. Right? (laughs) And those of us that have been married for longer, we can remember when it was still new. And a lot of times people bemoan, oh, I wish it was like it was when it was new. You know? I just want the new. What God is saying here about this and everything else is not that he'll make it all new so that it can start getting old again. You see, we can't even relate to things that don't get old. Everything gets old. You get a new car, it's new. Super excited about new things, aren't you? And I think this time... This time, I'm not going to eat in my car. This time, I'm not going to trash this car. It's new. It's really exciting and special. They, they make stupid air fresheners with new car smell. We're obsessed with things that are new, right? What God says is, I make all things new as in they're new and they stay new. They, they keep the quality of newness forever. Forever. So y'all who are in your new and those who can remember what it's like when it's new, that's what it's going to be like in heaven. That's what everything is going to be like. Just new all the time. Not new things, not new stuff made in China, right? I mean, the stuff that we love will be new forever. You'll never get tired of it, you see. It we'll won't ever get old. Never get old. Okay. Revelation nineteen six we'll close. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Where do they get it? Listen, the only righteousness that's good enough is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what they're wearing. And he saith unto me, Write. (laughs) Write this down, he says. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. I'm just going to sit down. God is good. That is where we're headed. When you feel like, i got to throw this in. You know those movies that, most movies end in marriage. There's a reason for that, right? I mean, so many movies that are all leading towards a marriage, or at least like the knowledge of it. Okay, now I know they're going to get married, right? I always hated the ones where they try to do stuff after the wedding. Because real life starts to happen, Right? (laughs) I mean, just stop there. There's there's a reason why we want that. There's a reason why we love that. That's how this works. The marriage of the Lamb is come. And that's the end and the beginning. And all things will be new from then on. Nothing will ever go down again. No more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Nothing will ever get old. It's just going to be real good, y'all.